0: back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three, there it is, yes! See it again. No double team. going on, everybody? We're recording this at 8.30, 8, 8.40 almost actually, on October 30th. It's been almost over a whole month since the last episode of the pod. Sixers and the NBA season is in full effect. Uh, we have just enough information to drink a lot of alcohol because of it and <laughs> scratch our heads in curiosity as to how this team or that team is doing so well to sort of dive into uh, what is going on in Philadelphia. I brought in pal of mine, Brian Tporek of Bleacher Report, of Forbes, Liberty Ballers. Brian, how are you? I am doing well. I'm
1: excited. The NBA season just started on Friday. It's been great. Great couple uh, days. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, so, Brian, what is going on in Philadelphia with the cue of the whole wind horse? got to do the whole point to the <laughs> uh, All of the preseason hype, they're 4-0, Tyrese Maxey is making every single shot he takes They get to the regular season. They're like, Oh wait, we forgot. We have to <laughs> actually show up and try hard to win games. Um, they start out. zero and three. Was it the most miserable? zero three you've ever seen.
1: I don't know about ever, but it, it certainly wasn't great. Uh, especially given the expectations coming into the year. But I mean, like, the Lakers also exist, so maybe, <laughs> maybe we're just being drowned out by them, but I think they might be a little more – because, you know, at least, like, there was still hope, right? They started 0-3, but, like, it's like, all right, if they just try a little harder on defense, if you know, Embiid has this plantar fasciitis that no one knew about during the offseason, once he works his way into shape, like, the pieces are still there. It still makes sense. This team still should be very good in the regular season, whereas the Lakers, it's like – everything we thought about this team is coming true already. There really does not appear to be much hope for them. So maybe not the most miserable, but certainly not the, the, the start to the season that I envisioned for this team.
0: So let me ask you this, your worst case scenario, your lowest downside for the Lakers. Mm -hmm. Have they surpassed that lowest downside with Russell Westbrook? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, not quite, because the still healthy. Okay. Uh,
1: I mean, and who knows? Like, we're recording this on Sunday night. For all we know, they're going to go and play Denver tonight and beat Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets, and suddenly we'll have a very different conversation about them. Um, I mean, they brought Russ off the bench on Friday, and he didn't strain his hamstring or accuse that move of – Resulting in an injury. So that's an upgrade from the preseason. But sure. <laughs> other than that, no, it's the, the Lakers are exactly who they thought, who
0: we thought they were coming into the year. That's right. Do you think they're going to hit by the end of the season 30% from three? And I say that half jokingly, half. Right. Oh my God, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> What's the worst shooting
0: team in NBA history? Like what I don't know the exact number. I know the Sixers like in 2008, 2009. Shot like thirty percent on the dot from 30. Mm. maybe maybe a little below 30% from thirty percent. Okay,
1: and the Lakers mm-hmm. right now are at twenty three point seven heading into the night. Wow. Oh. Uh, I mean, if only because I expect them to make a move, and maybe they add Buddy Heels, and he alone raises their overall Fair team enough. percentage by a couple percentage points. But, uh, yeah, shockingly, a team built about, around LeBron, AD, Russ, and like Lonnie Walker is on paper shooter, but like that was the big move this off season. But other than that, they got they got nothing.
0: That's right. The, the The Lakers are Lakers, and the the Nets are the on paper champions of the world. That, that that's your NBA Finals matchup on paper. Yeah, Lakers versus Nets. In reality, who boy, we'll see if either. Let's see, we'll see. We'll see if both teams get to the playoffs. Right. And, right. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I wouldn't recommend a team situation where LeBron is your best shooter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's not a great place to start. Yeah. Uh, and right now they're just saying, you know, Juan, Tosc- Juan Toscano Anderson for three. Oh, mm. not, <laughs> nope, not close. That's Uh So it's, and every 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 time Anthony Davis shoots a jumper, I kind of lose years on my life. I, right. I just get a little closer to the basket, maybe try something that's a little bit more mid-range game and not 22 feet out. The bubble is not. The bubble is over. We can stop. (laughs) Normalize what happened there. I mean, honestly, I would
1: take what's happened to AD's jumper since, if it means winning a championship. Like if Embiid, if they win a title this year, and then Embiid shoots twenty percent from the mid range for the rest of his career, happy to make that trade off.
0: Okay. Wow. All right. So three and four. Um, I think we all expected this team would not be a great defensive team because that's innately what happens when you have a starting backcourt that is James Harden and Tyrese Maxey, and they're trying to switch things. You're inevitably going to get a smaller or a less than enthused uh, veteran guard (laughs) named James Harden uh, Mm -hmm. to try to defend, you know, unfavorable matchups. You also have, P.J. Tucker, who is, you know, a veteran who is going to just have nights where he can't keep up with younger, fresher guys. And then you have uh, Daniel House, who is just kind of, like a, if he breaks even, it's a good signing. Uh, and, you know, Matisse Dibal, who is great if he can play in games. But I don't know that I expected the defense to be this bad <laughs> in, the, in the early yeah. Um I think, like, I guess when you boil down a three and four start to one or two things, what are those one or two things?
1: I mean, everyone has written about it, myself included, but it has been probably the biggest factor. Their transition defense is literally the worst in the league right now. Uh, it's gotten better over the last two games on the bright side before, I think, after that first Toronto game. They were giving up, I believe, one hundred and fifty nine point seven p- points per one hundred plays in transition. Some somewhere around one hundred and fifty nine. Uh, now they're down to one hundred and forty six point seven. So really Progress. making strides. Progress. Uh, yeah. yeah, but still, still the worst in the league. Uh, not as much by far. Like it used to be, they were so much further ahead of the next worst team, and now they're like right in the in the mix with Detroit and Memphis, which is nice to see. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's just been abysmal. Um, you know, I know they've asked the guys about it. Uh, I think, you know, like I want to give them a break to some extent because they are integrating so many new pieces. PJ Tucker, DeAnthony Melton, Montrezl Harold, Daniel House Jr. Who, you know, of all the guys who are not catching flack so far, uh, Daniel House does not seem to be, but he has been, uh, very underwhelming relative to the expectations probably had for him coming into the season. Um, and, you know, they didn't really play Matisse until these last two games and all of a sudden they're playing Matisse and well, surprise, surprise, the defense is like not as horrific. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, it's like part of it is just them establishing chemistry with a bunch of new guys on the fly. Um, and, you know, guys who weren't in the system before, like Matisse has, you know, I think Daniel House, by the end of the season, their hope is that he's going to be above Matisse in the playoff rotation. But early in the season, Matisse has been in the system before he's played with these guys before, like he is inherently going to have an edge in that regard. Um, So I think, you know, they are, it seems like they are trying to do things to get themselves ready for the playoffs in the regular season, which is a good development overall, but it is going to lead to some early season lumps.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, with Daniel House Jr., I think, like, the w- the way that I think the Sixers kind of view it, especially under the Daryl Morey regime, is, like, what, like, how is this player performing relative to players that were acquired this offseason by any team at this price level? Like, mm-hmm. is, is he playing, you know, on average as well as they are? Did we, did we miss somebody else there? And I think like right now I never expected him to be a stopper defensively. I mean, in the preseason when I was watching him play, it was more like this guy's just going to chase guys around the floor and, you know, maneuver around screens the most efficient way. And just kind of make, get, make offensive players work to get to the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he's not going to win every individual assignment it's why he's in a, a biannual exception signing i think the one thing that's that's really going to be like this guy can't play and is is has been a, it was a waste of a signing if if it, if it persists of course is the fact that he's shooting 27% from 3 can't have yeah. that and that's yeah. that's grounds for you know do we give Thibel a chance and if thiable can you know make 36% 35% of his threes, not only would that be a new career high and a game changer for him and for the team, but that would definitely, you know, put him up in the rotation over house junior. But the thing about the transition defense, which has just been unbelievably bad, like impossibly bad. um, Usually when you have transition defense, like you usually see like, okay, if transition defense is that bad, it's usually because you're trying to throw, you know, multiple Mm -hmm. guys. On the offensive glass. Yeah. Yeah. Except, except <laughs> our 30th in the NBA in offensive yep. rebound perc- uh, percentage. They are uh, rebounding 20% of their own miss-, miss shots. So you don't have the give and take that you usually see with transition defense. And not only are they uh, giving up 6.9 points added per 100 possessions in transition, which is 30th in the league. Are also not getting offensive rebounds, which is the way that you excuse bad transition defenses by creating extra possession. They're not doing yeah. it either, so it's yeah. all and all around a shit show, and it, it's an yeah. it's an incredible shit show. Um, I think like you can attribute a lot of that to effort, and I think it it you know th- surprisingly does not help that you have Joel, who if he doesn't get. Touch when he thinks he has an advantage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Bumps the shoulders and kind of is like, eh, what, you know? And then yeah. you have James, who, if he feels like there's contact, he stares at the referee. Yeah. yeah. Let's have Tyrese, who has now adopted that habit as well, and Tobias, who gets hit all the time and thinks he gets fouled all the time. You have four guys on the court who all think that they're getting fouled at all times and do not get that. <laughs> I, wonder right. fouled. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why it's.
1: Uh, and like, just structurally, when Embiid's posting up, you know, he's just going to be under the basket. He has the furthest distance to travel, or oftentimes he'll like throw up a layup and then follow the ground. And you're just going to have a numbers advantage anyway. And then, I mean, like I can excuse some of that, but there were possessions, especially against the Raptors who, you know, are the best transition team in the league. Like they run their highest percentage of possessions in transition should be the number one thing on the scouting report, limit turnovers, know if they get a rebound everyone run back as fast as possible and there were times where the Sixers had a numbers advantage but like three guys converged under the basket no one communicated and left shooters wide open on the corners and it's like it just it seems like they had never played basketball with one another before which is the case for some of them I guess but not all of them a lot of these guys have come back from last year
0: yeah. I mean for the five starters or return uh their offseason acquisitions Trez Harrell was playing like 8 9 minutes a game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, House Jr is playing a little bit, you know, like around I, I would without looking at the exact number I think I've seen him so like I've seen him so infrequently I feel like that that's basically where he is as well in the Trez tier. So most of it's return guys. There's no excuse unless they've decided yeah. to, unless they've decided to say like, you know what, we have the personnel to be full-time switching. We weren't doing that as much last year. Right. Let's well, really just, you know, and then in that case, I can understand if you have guys that are just trying and uh, trying to, you know, figure out the switch rules in real time, which I can understand that, but mm-hmm. it doesn't excuse the horrendous effort of actually getting back in transition. They don't have a good first step back Towards defense in transition, because like you said, Joel is falling down. He's arguing with the ref. He is you know doing whatever he's doing. You have you know three other guys who naturally are complaining and you know filling their arms and asking why the call wasn't made while the team runs back. So every possession is basically like it's every miss shot, every you know turnover is essentially a free point right now. I mean if we look at like even what synergy says synergy says the Sixers are giving up 1.203 points per possession in transition Good. that is extremely poor. It ranks third percentile. Good. So, so okay. it's literally a, free, it's basically the equivalent of a free throw every time the Sixers yeah. don't score. And even when they do score, the teams are just getting out and running back. They're like inbounding the ball outlet pass. Boom. We're scoring too. So, that's that's a hundred percent an effort and focus thing. Um, I do wonder if that continues. And I think they, they, they're getting a little better. I think they were twenty fifth in the NBA in defense last I checked uh, a couple days ago. They're now twentieth after they beat the breaks off Toronto and they beat and they beat the Bulls last night. So they're getting better there, but I do wonder if that continues. Like, what is your first move? Do you go to you know bring Tobias off the bench, move PJ to the four, and you know, put Thibault in there. I I think my first move is to replace PJ with De'Anthony Melton would be my mm. my first just because I I think he's athletic. He really can junk up the passing lanes. He's got a r- sneakily strong first pivot away from a you know from when he rotates on defense. He can drop down and block shots off the backboard uh, if if, he, if the cutter on the strong side is there you know he had he had a play like that last night so i think just his athleticism and his ability to sort of get involved and create chaos for opposing op- offenses is something the Sixers can benefit from on both ends
1: yeah totally and he was like didn't have a great first couple games but it really seems like he's starting to find his way and figure out his role on the team uh and he provides something especially some level of athleticism that they're really otherwise lacking i know doc has bemoaned their lack of speed in the starting lineup, especially. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I tweeted this before the Bulls game yesterday, uh, that even if Embiid was back, which he'd return, I would at least consider moving Tobias to the bench and keeping Tucker in there and then bringing Melton in uh, to replace Tobias. And this is nothing, like, some people got on me were like, why are you blaming Tobias for this? I'm like, I said nothing about Tobias in terms of like he's playing terribly and needs to move to the bench. It's more about maximizing everyone's roles. And I was looking specifically at this bulls matchup where, you know, okay, put uh Tucker on DeMar DeRozan, who is not going to cook you with lightning quick speed. And then like, I would have Melton as the primary Zach Levine defender in the, in the starting lineup there. Um, and, you know, maybe this changes on a game to game basis. Like I think, the Sixers should be willing to experiment with their starting lineup. I think you know, Maxi and B Harden are clearly locked in. Um, I know some people have called for like Maxi to be a sixth man it, to you know get him more run without the other starters. Like I think there are better ways to do that than bringing your third, at worst, maybe even second best player off the bench. But you know for Tobias. I do wonder if he sometimes just gets lost in the shovel in the opening lineup. I think he's he's been doing exactly what they need him to do. Okay. Um, you know, like he has been so much better in terms of having that quick tricker from three, which is something we have bemoaned like for his entire tenure in Philadelphia, that you know, he would just dribble, dribble, dribble. And then it, it like the decision making was so slow. It's not there this year. He is He is living up to what he said he was going to do heading into the season, which has been great, but you know, their bench scoring is just so inconsistent at times still that I wonder if having him as this like souped up six man might not be best for them long term. So it's a look that I would like, I would at least like to see Melton with the other four starters. Uh, And again, like, I think that this is the time to do it. Like, it, yeah, I know they got off to a rough start, but in theory, they have the talent to be a top six team pretty easily in the East, despite the increased competition there. Uh, I want to experiment now instead of running the same stuff for an entire 82 game season, getting the playoffs, being like, oh, well, this opponent presents a, a mismatch for our starting lineup and we haven't practiced anything different all year.
0: Yeah, I I think now is time to experiment. I, do you think that Tobias has the demeanor and the skill set and the physical just attributes to be a guy that can seamlessly play with play as a lead member of a bench unit uh, versus like being a complimentary plug-in guy with a starting unit? Because I I just see this world where he. Is god awful coming off. Yeah. Like can't yeah. make a shot, you know, it just doesn't fit. And you're like, well, now what do we do? Because our starting unit is actually working better and he is playing poorly. So it's not like it's an easy pivot back to what wasn't work well, you know, to make him better. So mm-hmm. I-, I don't know. I-, I feel like that's a I feel like the easiest thing to do just because of PJ Tucker's glue guy style of play. Right. is to bring him off the bench and, you know, let Ganthony come in and play, you know, be, be, start basically have a three guard starting unit. Um, yeah. I would, I even thought about this morning, like, what if you just cut Montrez, even though they won't do that, because Montrez. Right. Um, sure. but what if you just cut him and you use PJ as your backup five and, mm-hmm. you know, you toy around with some, you know, small ball units that way. Their small ball has been really effective, and it was. Yeah. You know they, yeah. they beat. They beat the brakes off of Toronto the other night, um, and they were up like 15 in the first quarter, going small with PJ to start. And I don't want him playing a bunch of minutes as you know a center. Like that's when you have an mm-hmm. opportunity to bring Paul Reed in. I don't know when. I don't know when Paul Reed's ever going to get a, a chance in the rotation. I just, you know, it, what what does the man have to do? You know. It, <laughs> Well, you know, get, it's, it's, get Doc Rivers
1: hired, probably.
0: That's, that's right. <laughs> wow. So you know, it's definitely uh, it's 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 I, they won't, they wouldn't do it, but I, I think there's a world where you can make Peter Tucker work at in the second unit. But you say Tobias comes out and you put Anthony in, maybe that. I mean, I think defensively that would be perfect because yeah, you have like four smalls and then you have Joel as as the as the traditional rim protector you can switch you can literally switch everything yeah. um and even live with sort of the liability that is Maxie and James because you have three other guys that are plus defenders um i don't think they'll do it because i just don't think under this regime they've ever been willing to sort of test unusual things out yeah but yeah. I, I do like the idea um i would just do it a little differently because i i just I, I I don't see Tobias being a good uh, second unit guy, but that leads me to yeah. my to another question or another topic. A lot of Doc Rivers talk. It's okay. all it's kind of all we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw the odds from Jimmy Shapiro this week. He emails anyone who puts in anyone who at one point had their email in their Twitter bio, basically mm. on the mailing list for for his odds from Bet Online. And Doc was the heavy favorite to be the first coach fired. Uh, Was Was this when were these?
1: Was this before the second Raptors game? Yes, yes, okay, yeah, yes.
0: Um, So you know, I think I think Doc could be more innovative with the offense they run, and takes them a little too long. It takes them, you know, far too long, quite frankly, to get into their offensive sets. But I, I just think that ultimately you can yell until you're blue in the face or do whatever you want. You have to – the, the the professional athletes have to put an effort to be – Right, right. players. And at some point, yeah. it isn't about the coach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can say, like, they need to be drilling this more in practice, but they don't really have time to practice. Like, right. they're playing – every other night basically and you know so they've got shoot around but I don't know how hard they're going uh at shoot around like they'll have a, a little gap here um between the Knicks game on Friday and the Suns game on Monday. So maybe maybe they'll have an actual practice on Saturday or Sunday and like work on their transition defense, especially if it's continues to be an issue uh this week. But yeah, I mean it, it so far the defensive issues feel more effort and just guys not communicating on the court. And, you know, like doc needs to be on them about that. They need to go out and actually execute it. Um, Otherwise, I mean, you know, I feel like especially this year, his rotations are really going to come under the microscope just because this is the first year where they've had more guys who deserve minutes than minutes to actually give out. You brought up Paul Reed earlier, who has been on the fringes of the rotation. Uh, you know, Matisse, again, like barely played in those first five games. I think he played six minutes in total. Um, you know, Shake has only played three minutes, for, or three games, sorry. Uh, Fran has played four minutes in total. Um, and these are guys who, like, they were fixtures of the rotation last year. These were, like, the key bench guys. So it's going to be tough for Doc. It's going to be impossible, not tough, impossible for Doc to find minutes for all of these guys. So which ones he chooses and who he chooses to pair them with uh, is going to be one of the biggest things that we can really analyze him on. Like we don't, you know, we're not there. We're not seeing what plays he's drawing up, but we do see who he's putting on the floor, which combinations of players he's putting on the floor. And I think there are some nits to pick there, but again, it's so early in the season that I want him to be trying different things. Like I would really hate it if seven games into the season, he was already rigid about, okay, these are our starting five. These are our bench five. These are the exact rotations we're going to use. We're not changing anything up. Like we're going to, you know, when at six minute mark, we're going to take uh empede and maxi out. We're going to bring these two guys in. And then four minutes later, we're going to take these two guys out. Like, mess around man like this is the time to do
0: it yeah yeah no for sure um yeah i mean i i guess i'm just like i'm so used to it with him by now i'm just sort of like like he, he he's gonna do what he's gonna do I, yeah I, I do think like no matter what he does and no matter what he says the re- the the reception that he will have is negative because you know the, the, you know the Atlanta series they lose. People yeah. people will blame that on him. I don't, but he, people would. Um, and you know the the press conference answers and the fact that he was like, poo pooing the idea of playing Paul Reed and then he played him in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I you know I, I do think Daryl makes a good point. Like if he were in front of like, the media in general, had too much access to the head coach or the head coach is talking too much, you know, in, in the course of the season. And if he had to do it that much, he'd make mistakes too. Um, you know, so I think there's some truth to that. I also just think like they've experimented with zone defense a lot more this year. Uh, and especially in the last couple games, they've, you know, I think people are like, they don't have an offense. They don't run plays. You know they do run plays. It's just that you don't know what the plays are called. Like, mm-hmm. right. Right. You know? um So, I do think like he's a better coach than given credit for, but I also like think there are times when I'm like, "What are we doing here? <laughs> Why are we doing this?" Um, yeah. You know, uh, so I, I, I think he's just about average, probably a little bit above average, and I, I think you know he. He held the locker room together last season. And that doesn't mean it really matter much to this season. But I I just think that like at some point, like we can't just sit here and say every time that a guy doesn't hustle, it's like, oh, we gotta fire the coach. Like they haven't, you know, he's lost the he's lost the locker room. Like you gotta perform. You gotta play the game. And you have guys that mm-hmm. aren't playing the game right now. And maybe that looks different in a month when Joel is more in shape. Maybe that yeah. looks different when they're feeling themselves on a win streak. Maybe this early. Three and four start was a a really nasty punch in the stomach after they, you know, go for no in the preseason. Maybe they were feeling themselves and forgot they had to actually try. Maybe, yeah, that's a thing for them. We'll 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 know more as the days and the weeks pass. But people are never going to chill on him. But mm-hmm. the, definitely, I it's he's not nearly as I think bad or as responsible for early struggles. As people want to make it out to be. I also think people don't really, re- they people say fire the coach and they blame him for things, but it's, I don't think it, in, in general we can really know what is truly on him and what isn't on him because so much of it is like, well, how much is this on the players not executing well versus, you know, him saying like, yeah, this is the play I want to run and then you know, the defense taking that play away and then having to re- them having to resort to the second or third action. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to sort of, diagnose what exactly is coaching and what isn't um, right. Didn't he say, was it the Milwaukee game? Didn't he say like Embiid kind of audible? Yeah. Didn't run the play. Like he it, yeah. it was like, like, like I, I don't know. I don't remember if he said it himself, but it was basically like the play, you know, it, it was not the play that we wanted something like that. Right. And Which, he's
1: been saying like every press conference, like we just need to learn to pr- play, right. Move the ball, space the floor. Like it's very clear that he's not happy with the current state of the offense.
0: Yeah. And breaking news from Nick Friedell: Kyrie oh, has deleted his tweet that included a link to the movie. "Hebrews to, I can't say that. I'm not sure I can say that word on my podcast. So, right. Right. Black America. So he's deleted, he's, he's deleted the link to his, he deleted the tweet. So, does that mean he's not promoting this this tweet anymore? No, it wasn't a promotion. Remember, it was not a yeah. promotion. It was, right, was right. you no, know, it, it was just it was a media member who posted who said he did things for clicks. Remember, it was that? dehumanizing him. Yes, That's right, De- dehumanizing. Just like anti, just like anti-Semitism is not dehumanization. <laughs> apparently, right, right, right. right, right. <laughs> uh, wow, incredible. Just it, you know the the snowflakes won that one wow
1: honestly kudos to nick for how he's been covering this situation
0: yeah and I, I thought it was a good back and forth i think in my young stature in the business i probably wouldn't have had the fortitude to do that yeah. but it was an impressive back and forth and it you know by him and he kept it respectfully even though Kyrie was sort of cutting at him a little bit so good mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that i guess a little more later but yeah um yeah, it was, you know, wow. Big moment for our country. <laughs> uh, uh, so James Harden. Yes. Better than what you expected at your highest upside or? Eh?
1: Um, no, I mean, the highest upside is like Houston Harden is fully back. And that's not true. Uh, you know, the first, he was really good against Boston, Milwaukee bad against the Spurs, really good against the Pacers and has, you know, not had a couple of great games. The bulls game, especially was just terrible from him. Um, yeah. you know, I think, especially at this early juncture of the season, it still feels like, I mean, doc is saying it, like they're still working on figuring out the flow of the offense. We saw, you know, that clip from that uh training camp practice um you know where they say like this is not a democracy um where like everything is flowing through and beaten hardened and everyone else needs to kind of figure it out uh and like really one of my biggest takeaways from these first seven games especially seeing the way that maxi was cooking in that second raptors game without Embiid on the floor is that like maybe this should be a little bit more of a democracy like maybe we we shouldn't run every single thing through Embiid and Harden in the half court and i say that fully knowing that they have one of the most effective half court offenses in the league but they just aren't running all that much they're one of the slowest teams in the nba um so like i think harden um specifically that he's still not getting by guys the way he used to in his prime I don't think that's going to happen. Like he looks better physically than he did last year, but he's still not quite, you know, MVP level. James Harden is a scorer. I still hate every single possession where no one else touches the ball. He just dribbles it for 20 seconds and launches that back three. I think like I I genuinely wish the Sixers had it in his contract. They could find him for that because it's just so egregious. Like you have way too much talent on this team. This is not your crappy Rockets team where you have to carry everyone. Like you've got Joel Embiid, you have Tyrese Max, you have Tobias Harris, you have to trust your teammates. Um, I will say the the emergence of his mid-range game, you know, we saw it teased during all the off-season workout videos, but as we Sixers folks know from over the years, you can't, can't always believe what you see. I wonder what off, happens sees <laughs> <off> season <laughs> workout videos. So, like that, actually trickling old games has been uh, a, a real revelation for him, and I think um, that's something that could, if this athletic decline is permanent and he is not able to blow by guys to the extent that he used to be, which you know, under the mori ball doctrine that he used to play under, that takes away half of his offense effectively, you know, adding this mid range is going to keep defenders more off balance. So that has been good. I I would say like, I was optimistic about Harden coming into the year and he's probably been slightly better than I expected, but I was already relatively high on, you know, I I think he's going to have a bounce back year.
0: Do you think he's an all-star this year?
1: It's so tough. I mean, it's really tough in the East now too. After you add Dejounte Murray and you add Donovan Mitchell to a conference that already has Darius Garland, Trey Young, Jalen Brown, if he counts as a guard, I don't know what he's going to be listed as. Uh, I would hope that voters aren't going to put Kyrie Irving in the game, even if statistically he deserves it um
0: careful you'll, but, get, you'll get you'll get all the all the truthers on you <laughs> <laughs> bring them
1: uh but you know like it, it, so i think team record is going to be a big factor here it's just so early to say that either way um jalen brunson even i mean fred van vliet bradley beal like fellow hasn't played but he's here zach levine demar de rosen tyrese halliburton uh i to it's About to say Kyle Lowry, but I'm gonna go out on a limb and say he's cool. not really an outside consideration this year. But there, you know, there are two starting spots, two reserve spots, two wild card spots, so six guards at absolute most getting into the east. So I know Zach Lowe is a big proponent of this rule, and Daryl on the rights to Ricky Sanchez pod when he was talking about uh, you know roster cuts was a big proponent of the move. Where if you're saying he is an all star, you have to leave out all right, you Who can name five it? other guards at most. So tell me who you're leaving out. Drew Holiday is another one who could be in that mix. So I don't know. I think team records gonna be a big factor here. But
0: yeah, if I the don't... Sixers are
1: like a top three seed, sure. He could be in there.
0: Yeah. I, I I just I think you're right. I don't know yet. I, I think statistically he's gonna be in the mix. Like twenty two, nine, and seven. You know, that's those are all star level numbers. He he'll probably be in the mix. I don't know what that looks like if they're a four seed or a five seed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, We'll we'll, we'll see about that. But I I do think you hit it on the head with the emergence of the mid-range game. Um, Just for context, he shot 67. He took 67 field goals plus 19 fouls drawn last year in the mid-range with the Sixers. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll even put it this way. Long, we'll call it long mid-range. So last season with the sixers he attempted 11 shots plus two fouls in the mid-range. This season he's attempted 20 plus one. So he's already surpassed his total from last year 6 7 games into the year. Um yeah. I maybe I wasn't so attentive attentive to early career James Harden or Houston James Harden. I never felt like he was a superb athlete. Like he was mm-hmm. I thought he was a jump shot reliant guy who used that to get an edge and then drive when he had that. I, I think he's been pretty good at, at beating guys off the dribble thus far this year. Uh, he hasn't really gotten like stonewalled by anybody from what I can, can remember off the top of my head. Uh, certainly better than he was last year, mm-hmm. which isn't saying much, but yeah, right. I, I, I definitely think he's been better, but I think he's just been like, he's, he's seeing like, okay, if I have the space from like 15, 16 feet out, I'm just gonna rise up and take this, or I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna try to get at the rim because my rim, my shooting at the rim, I, I, from what I, I feel like I remember, isn't, ha- hasn't been great at the rim this year. He's shooting, uh, 57%, which is in the 44th percentile, so not great, uh, but it's you know a low volume of attempts thus far. Um, so you know he's probably thinking, I'm not as comfortable or as confident that I can get all the way to the rim and get a bucket here because I, I think one of the things that we miss is when he's going for a layup and someone hits him on the wrist or he gets slapped in the forearm and loses the ball off his leg, mm-hmm. or, or you, that that counts as a shot. Even though it doesn't get all the way to the rim, it counts as a shot that, and because the score oh. decides that, I guess. So, you know, he, he can go two for 12, but really he's only taking seven or eight actual shots the other four are just him getting smacked on the way and he loses the ball out of you know and it just goes mm-hmm. out the way. so yeah i don't know how much noise that it there is in that but i do think that number one he looks comfortable posting up he had a post up the other night against the bulls he's had a couple shots around the elbow where it was like i'm just gonna take use this as like a step out step back i, I think he's kind of saying like what if i just do the same things i've always done but Five or six feet closer to the basket, so even right. even on nights where my legs feel short, I can still get the ball there and have a chance. Whereas last year I couldn't. Um, but I, I think all the way around, if he, you know, he's he's had a twenty nine point game, he's had a th- he's had two thirty point games already against two good defenses. If he can, yeah. if he if he's playing at that level, I don't really have many concerns. We'll see how consistent it is. I don't know if last night was more of legs on the second night of the back to back yeah um, we'll see you know what that looks like as the season goes on but I, mean, I think kyle newbeck's had it best like if they're getting this level of play from james uh and Joel is Joel, then the three and four start or if at that point it was Owen and three or whatever doesn't really mm-hmm. matter they're gonna be fine you know
1: yeah i mean the, james was the biggest question hanging over them coming into the year like was last year's version what we have to expect moving forward. And I think so far, despite his struggles against the Bulls, the answer is...
0: Yeah. And I, I do think... Like, the ball movement, to your point about the, the offense, and I can go more into that, but I don't mind the isolation plays because it's like when when those shots are falling, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. This, like, you know, this, this is, a, this is a, a superstar shot creator who can do whatever he wants. And then when they're not falling, you're like, oh, this is a waste of the possession. Um, yeah. You know? So, and, and I think that it's like that, that's the the extreme low side is when he does have bad shooting nights, it can really bleed into your transition offense or defense because, because, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's going the other way immediately. And then there's no one back, because it's a long rebound. Right. Uh, so. I, I, I think, the bad games look uglier than the good games look good, if that makes sense. Yeah, and like how I mean, many times Word salad. <laughs> it, Like he had,
1: was it Miami game four, where he went off in the fourth quarter uh, last year in the playoffs? Yeah it,
0: was, yeah, it was like he hit like four threes in the fourth quarter. Yeah, so
1: like. I just feel like we haven't seen many of those types of games from him since he's been here and it's been more of these you know the the low games have been more frequent than the good isolation games. Like if we're going to play the iso game, I is it crazy to say I trust Maxi more already than I do? No,
0: no absolutely not. It, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, it, and I, and I just think like when he has those good moments Mm-hmm. It's like this is a game changing offensive player, you
1: yeah. know. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and when he is having those bad nights, it's like this is killing the entire team because not yeah. only are you not scoring, but you're basically gifting free points the other way, or you're right. getting guys in foul trouble because they have to the foul to stop the ball in transition, yeah. um, you know. So it, I, I just think that I wasn't expecting him to have the outburst that he was having early on, and he's had three of them already or yeah. he's even huge for them. Uh, the three is coming back down to earth. I think he's at like 32% from three. Mm-hmm. Now. Every last couple of games specifically, he hasn't looked great uh, from yeah. 3 been pretty, a little short, but we will, we'll, we'll see there. Um, go over to Maxi's involvement in the offense. Yeah, and I guess this is where we'll connect both. I haven't been satisfied with that even a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I, not near. I mean, I, I think last night they kind of got back into the game by going a little bit more pick and roll based with Ty, with mm-hmm. Tyre, um, but overall it's been way too much catch and shoot from from him, and not enough actual like put him on the ball and let him use his speed to create advantages for the team. It's been too much. Yeah. It's been too much, you know. James Harden is our point guard and we're going to treat him as such. Yes. Yeah. Let, let it be a by, you know, it should be more of a by committee by uh, you know, by and by opponent and we'll see what the matchup gives us. But it, like that mm-hmm. and thought last night was like the perfect example. There was one play early in the first where Joel's had to screen and Opens up and it's like in his middle of the floor. James, you know, threads the needle to him on a bounce pass. Joel is short rolling, kicks it to Tyrese in the opposite corner Tucker screen for him and hit a three. That was like the perfect cohesive chemistry where all three guys were involved. All three of Harden, Joel, and Tyrese touched the ball and it created a very easy bucket. Um, and like, I'm not saying Tyrese threes are, are bad because he's a really good shooter, but you're not putting that speed to use when you limit him to catch and, th- catch and shoot threes. And that speed makes everything better, makes everything easier for everybody because you're collapsing the interior.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, it looked like they, like the, most of these first few games, it's just every single time just give the ball to James as soon as you cross half court. I said last night, especially later in the game, it seemed like they were actually making a concerted effort to give it to Maxi crossing half court or early in the shot clock to see if he can create anything with his speed in the pick and roll and if not then we dump it down to James and we can trust him cuz like regardless of you know how James is shooting on any given night he is by far the best playmaker on the team so in that regard it absolutely makes sense to run a lot of your offense through him i just don't like doing it necessarily give it to him with 21 seconds left he's going to dribble uh, who was? It was wasn't Steve Jones? No, Steph. No, of Sporting News, um, was clipping uh, videos from the Bulls game and like tracked. I think there was one possession where uh, Harden had twenty dribbles and zero passes. So, <laughs> so that's not great. Uh, yeah. I, so, so I think you know, like Harden is, I think by far the entry passer on the team. So, again, once you're in your half-court offense, everyone is set, sure, run it through him, but, like, let's go early in the shot clock, try to have Tyrese take advantage of his speed, see if he can generate something close to the basket, see if he can just suck in extra defenders on a drive and open up with, you know, either a wide-open three for someone or, like, a swing-swing opportunity for someone, Uh, and then we can go back to James Harden dribbles the air out of the ball and takes a step back three or four seconds left on the shot clock
0: yeah and i that that's part of like the whole like like you know they take too long to get in their offense like they don't have any yeah. offense they do it that james is dribbling the ball into nothing like it's, yeah he's like, just killing time on the clock yeah. now maybe he reacts different if joel starts himself and says like i'm screening for you go just, just yeah use it and go Maybe that looks different if something unfolds quickly. But to your point about the entry pass thing, I was actually I asked him about this after the, uh, I think the Indiana game. I want to say I was like, mm-hmm. like I I, I I tried to find a way to politely not say like Tobias sucks at this. Why are you so good? sure? Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 he was and I was like, it was, it was like what do you see that makes you such a good entry passer? And he was like, I don't know, I just throw it up there and look for the best. Yeah, let's just <laughs> just throw it the seven two guy. It's not that hard. <laughs> like, and, he's, yet, he's, <laughs> and yet it is and yet it's like i just lead him to the basket throw it to, his, right. out, throw it to his inside hand and hope for the like hope he'll get it Like what the hell <laughs> i was like okay well, you know maybe uh, shout my makes sense. to <laughs>
1: it, who knew it was that easy i couldn't yeah. tell for the last couple of years of sixers basketball
0: yeah um going over to like the the maxi and the, the pick and roll stuff yeah so the sixers are like 50th percentile in pick and roll like points per possession, um, pull that number to be exact. So, uh, as with with the ball handler, they're averaging point eight three points per possession, which is like just just below average. Harden is average or plays in which Harden is pick and roll ball handler. Um, it's point eight three, which is pretty good for an individual player as opposed to the overall team number, um, and really ha- like you look at the distribution of play type and James's pick and roll number is a little less than like it's a it's in second place as the lead play type isolation is ahead of that. would be better if that was more in first place because as you said hardened ISOs aren't great. Having said that, right now they are averaging one point three four points per possession in hardened ISOs, which is excellent. That's like yeah. top ten percentile of the league. Yeah. Um Tyrese Maxey's pick-and-roll pick numbers, uh, I would just, buy, before I even look at it, I would guess and say that the spot-ups are nearly half of his usage. Mm-hmm. Um, the spot-ups are second behind pick-and-roll ball handling by, like, 1%. Mm. He's averaging 0. .8. Their their offense is scoring .89, basically, points per possession, which is pretty good. I I don't understand why they're not Experimenting with that more, it is something that I want to see more of as yeah. the season goes on. Just not limiting Tyrese, and maybe it's because James is, isn't a willing or great catch and shoot guy. But he's yeah, he looks so bad doing that this yeah. season. But it's funny, like he's he he's more than happy to catch and shoot off of an offensive rebound. But if he has to like catch and shoot off of a pass from the perimeter, it's like eh, I'm <laughs> yeah, of yeah.
1: Bit. I know yeah. it's one, it's one area that. I was hopeful that he was going to be better at because it seemed like he was working on this season. Maybe he'll come around in due time. Cause I know last year after he arrived, he's like, I haven't had to do this in 10 years, which I don't know if that's true, because you did just play with KD and Kyrie Irving, yeah. But and, and Chris Paul. That, yeah, and,
0: and right. Like. <laughs>
1: right. Right. Like I, I think that was more a choice that, uh, like I'm sure your your previous teams would have also liked you to do that more. And in general, I would just like to see more off-ball movement, especially from him, but really like all of the Sixers. It seems like they might just be so focused on the spacing element right now, especially when Embiid's on the floor. Like we're not trying to muck things up uh, and have guys crossing into the lane and sending extra defenders at Embiid as we're trying to throw an entry pass. So we're just going to all stay parked in the corner. But in that first Toronto game, like, you know, the, the Toronto guys are just running everywhere on every possession. Yeah, uh, and the Sixers were all just kind of like standing still in their respective spots. Longer. It's like you're not making them work at all. They just get to hang out, catch their breath.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's been yeah, and it, it, it's been it, it's been very slow to start. Yeah, I would call it defensive development. But to, yeah. <laughs> to the point about the Harden press conference, maybe not as factually inaccurate as Kyrie's most recent press conference. <laughs> still fall high, 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 high bar to clear because he was playing with all these <laughs> ball dominant players um yeah. like i you know i i think they can get more out of that i mean there, there's no reason that this pick and roll shouldn't be either pick and roll really with Joel and tyrese and james and Joel, whatever there's mm-hmm. no reason that can't be more effective than point eight three points per possession. Like yeah. they have the tools to be, and, and so of come Some of it comes down to like Joel's willingness to be a screener and you know yeah. open up out of this. And you know he he wasn't setting great screens last night. He isn't traditionally is not a great screener, and you know he'll lose the ball if he decides to go right into traffic with it. But last mm-hmm. night he was getting whatever he wanted at the rim uh, yeah. against yeah. Chicago, which is a low bar, but uh, still joel's body language and conditioning has been a, a, a something thus far and it was very <laughs> smart of him to bring out his son for the past yes. after the Spurs yeah. loss it was a brilliant move by him he knew that no one was gonna grill him in front of his son so he brought his son out. maybe yeah. that wasn't the reason why he did it but i, I know joel is smart enough where he would have been like i wonder if this will lighten the mood a little bit so
1: yes yeah uh yeah, I mean, what when I go back to what I said earlier about like the, you know, Doc saying this isn't a democracy, to me, it feels like Embiid is still operating in this mode where he has to do everything. Yeah. And I just don't think that's true. Like, to your point, I would like to see some possession. like, you have no expectation of touching the ball. Your entire purpose on this possession is just set hard screens and free up your teammates or you know, there was a possession last night um, where he drove into like a triple team and like all he had to do was kick it out to the left and there were two wide open guys, but instead he did this and turned it over and it's like, this isn't last year anymore. This isn't like, you know, December of last year when Ben Simmons is on the team, you're still waiting for this eventual James Harden trade. You don't have to do any everything anymore. Like you, yeah. you specifically said this, During media day, you know, he said, like, I, I can focus more on defense now because I have all this other help. But it does still seem like, you know, I can't tell if it's him just trying to like play his way into shape. And that's how he's doing it. But yeah, the version of Embiid I know with, you know, the stats look great. You know, 27 points, almost 10 rebounds shooting 53% from the efficiency, as I think that's a career high for him, if I remember correctly. Uh, so like on paper Blake, he's the same old Joel but I, I don't know maybe this this seems like a case where the eye test is telling me one thing that the, the per game stats are not
0: yeah I mean I, I wrote this I wrote the thing same thing last night like I feel like he looked like he was gassed in mm-hmm. the fourth quarter um even the third quarter when uh nikola Vucevic like decided to go splash brother and yeah. Did everything suck? Yeah. It was because Joel was not agile and was like he was getting he was getting beat to spots by much, who was very slow. So, mm-hmm. and you know, I felt like even though the box score numbers were good, the eye test was like, yeah, not, not so great. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and I I do think after the first couple games when he was trying to, you know, just pl- play with force and run into everybody and will them that way he's definitely gotten more of the like hey let's get everybody involved here because no one else can score on this team especially the bench and he's been whether whether it was like whether he was getting hard trapped or shaded or you know soft double teams coming he was inviting that and trying to make passes and i think he's one of i think he's a an underrated passer because he makes some great looks that guys either just miss or he's setting up the swing pass for somebody else because the mm-hmm. defense is out a rotation because they're doubling him. Um, but I, I just think the body language is very meh and I don't know if he'll ever, if he'll ever learn that, but I, I'm curious to see how, like if, if there was any way to quantify how body language affects the team, mm-hmm. how it would affect them. Because there are times when he, like looks out of it. He slumps his shoulders. He's, you know, like the hand signs, you know, the, the, the not getting that, like there were, there were times in the Boston game where Harden's is trying to run and they're trying to get out and transition on offense. And he's six or seven steps behind and they're waiting for him because he's mm-hmm. not getting, back. Mm-hmm. um, and, and I do think the plantar fasciitis thing is probably real because he mentioned after the last preseason game that, uh, you know, that he had an on and off summer. So maybe it all gets better as season goes on. But early people have been concerned about Joel, like fans, and I I can understand it. Like he, he, despite putting up good numbers, he has not looked like himself. And the defensive side of the ball hasn't been great for him either. That was something he said. I want to be a better defender all throughout games.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Hopefully, this is just him playing his way back into shape. And if that's the case, I'm more than happy. Like, I, you know, going into the season, we didn't really have any questions about Joel. He's runner, MVP runner up for two straight yeah. years. Like, we know what his ceiling is, and there's no reason to think he's not going to get back to that. Um, but yeah, getting back to being more unselfish and figuring out the distribution of touches between him, Maxi, Harden, Tobias, I think that's going to be. Probably Doc's challenge, or the, the Sixers coach, whether it's Doc or someone else, uh, <laughs> their biggest challenge for the rest of the year.
0: All right. The, the topic that we have all the waiting for, Kyrie Irving and oh his and his press conferences. I, I think one thing needs to be made abundantly clear. This is, so like, this is so Twitter culture. It would be like, oh, you're condemning Kyrie, but you don't condemn Jeff Bezos. No, it, it's that Jeff Bezos – no one called Jeff Bezos a good role model. No one said that he's a good guy. You know? It's like, it's the same old thing. Like, two multiple things can be be correct at once. But what Kyrie is saying is so preposterously ridiculous. And it's it's scary to think about the fact that he does indeed have an army of people who follow him and are like, yeah, Yeah. this guy is like spewing facts.
1: Yeah. Uh, I personally would like no reporter to ever carry a non-basketball question again i just don't care about his opinion on anything that isn't about something that happened on the court like he's just proven he is at this point and like giving these people a microphone like haven't we learned from the last five years what happens when we amplify their voices like yeah you can call them out for being wrong and i guess you can you know i again, I think Nick Fride of ESPN, he's the one who you know had the back and forth with Kyrie last night he handled it in the most respectful manner he possibly could um I don't fault him for and that's his job like his job is to ask that question uh yeah. I just wish we didn't even have to bother asking,
0: yeah, and it's like Kyrie is a walking contradiction like he yeah. you know he he's he's I think we, you know, I mentioned earlier, he's like, you know, um, don't dehumanize me up here on this podium. Like, dude, you're sharing (laughs) content that is spreading, dehumanizing this information. Like, like it's it's hypocritical. And I I, I had this conversation today with somebody like the reason that it matters and like you're, I, I get it. Like, you know, he's entitled to his opinion, and he is. That is true. Yeah. He is entitled to his opinion. What you are not entitled to do is to take that, understand that I am an influential individual. I have children who are young and impressionable who look up to me, and I'm going to use that. And I know that my opinions are controversial and maybe even harmful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spread those to people who are that age who have platforms who can be influenced by that and make bad decisions themselves. Like you're entitled to your opinion, but you also have to realize the power that your opinions can have and yeah. your, your, your beliefs can have, especially on those who are 15, 16, 17 years younger than you are. Yeah. Who maybe aren't in the, you know the safest natural environment, you know, like n- n- maybe there's people who are, uh, you know, who, who have access to to weaponry, who can say like you know what Kyrie is yeah. right. Like, I'm going to go yeah. into a you know, down the street and 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 use this you know and and kill people. Like that's that that that's what those problems can lean into. And no yeah. one is saying that you know like the whole you you didn't say this about slavery whatever what that. No one is saying that like like any of these acts are therefore less bad than what <laughs> right. We're just really? pointing out the fact that no one, the Kyrie is spreading these in this, in, this, these things out in public, and if anyone, if there was any white basketball player who said yes, yeah, slavery was not bad, we would yeah. be having the exact same conversation. <laughs> yes. they're, all yeah. equally, they're all very heinous things. Right. So, like you know, it's it's, you, it's, it's, it's it's ridiculous. Someone in my my messages today, I told you this, was like yeah. basically said like, yeah, I believe that Jews. You know, uh, worship to Satan. I'm like, I like basketball. It's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> well, I think you said it
1: right. Like, he has the right to free speech, and we have the right to call him an idiot because he's an idiot.
0: <laughs> fair you enough. That? Like, you're, yeah.
1: you're, we should be calling out anyone spreading any sort of hate speech. Yeah. And that is very much what this falls into. Therefore, I think it is fair game to. You know, like ask him about it when he's doing it. I don't care what he's going to say because if he's sharing that opinion in the first place, I don't want to hear him defend it. Like there's no defense that's going to be. Oh, okay, yeah, actually, you make a really good point, Kyrie. Now I now I totally understand. like no. It, it, it's just indefensible behavior. Yeah. Um. But from a basketball standpoint, like when they're starting on, or one in five, when there are all these early season questions happens now Kyrie like it's just always something with Kyrie Irving every year there's always something now we've got this going on don't blame Kevin Durant for wanting out you know like he's already requested a trade this offseason said like said he's fine he put it behind him but like this is I assume he saw the writing on the wall here it's just like you can't count on Kyrie Irving to be a dependable teammate and not to be a distraction and it is inevitably going to trickle into the locker room when you're when the team governor is calling out one of the star players two weeks into the season. Yeah.
0: It's... I, I think Bobani said it the best today. Just blow it up. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I mean, he
1: said that, but, like, they can't because they owe all of their picks to Houston. What's that going to do? You're going
0: to... You think Houston's seeing all this and they're just like, yes! Of
1: yes. course they are! Are you kidding? Like... <laughs> Houston fans are taking the biggest victory lap as well. They should like this has the potential to be the I mean the 2020s version of what the Nets did in 2010 or in the, you know in the early in the 2010s with the Boston trade. Yeah. Like I, this has I, such a, a, immense disaster potential because like what Kyrie's gonna re-sign with the Nets after Jam out. Yeah, like Kyrie's gone after this year. I'd be shocked if Kyrie stays.
0: I Durant... I'd be shocked that they want him back.
1: Right. I, I can't imagine, nor should they. And So, okay. You're going to lose him for nothing. Most likely. I mean, maybe, maybe you somehow trade him during the season. Maybe the Lakers, you know, are, are, can pull off some three team trade where Russ goes elsewhere. Kyrie goes to the Lakers and let, let's say the heel Turner package goes to Brooklyn. Like that's the absolute best case scenario in that regard. Otherwise, like, you you might lose Kyrie for nothing next summer, you know it's early. I'm not giving up on Ben Simmons yet, but like the six game early returns I haven't been pretty. Have I mean, not only does he look defensively, he like he'll he'll get there. He'll get back to maybe not fully what he was, but like he's gonna he'll get back up to speed. But like if the hope was that the full year off he would develop some new radical skill on offense we certainly haven't seen that yet and for all of the like joel Embiid to ben simmons are a terrible feather nick claxton is a better fit with ben simmons offensively
0: <laughs> like, remember, <laughs> remember the net the nets fans were like you know uh, the, net, the poor nets fans oh, I can, oh I don't even, it's it's brutal uh brian before i let you go what team has surprised you the most or is like you've been like oh this is kind of interesting I mean, every tanking team, I feel like, is the right answer. Like,
1: <laughs> the Jazz are 5-2, and two, the Spurs are 4-2, and two, the, the Thunder are 500. It's – I I didn't see I, – I saw the Jazz not this good, but, like, they had rotation players, right? Like, until yeah. they start selling off the Jordan Clarksons and Mike Conleys of the world. Like, Colin Sexton's an NBA player. Jared Vanderbilt's an NBA player. Laurie is an NBA player. So – I didn't think they had worst team in the league potential. I thought the Spurs were going to be the worst team in the league. I thought they were going to be resoundingly the worst team in the league. So you can fully blame me for the Sixers' loss to the Spurs. It was pure karma for like how much trash I talked on them for yeah. the entire yeah, well, offseason. They
0: just beat the Timberwolves tonight. Did they really? Yeah, they're 5-2. and two. The Spurs are 5-2. in two. the hell? Yeah. Wow, and they beat the Bulls. To- Man, good for yeah. them.
1: Honestly, yeah, yeah. It, it makes me so happy for Brett Brown.
0: Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, this is awesome. These guys are just like yeah. young, and these guys are young. They don't have any money or egos yet, and they're just like, "Ooh, it's, half, it's like half. this is the
1: process, but with good players, this is yeah. awesome."
0: It's like, what if we had a process where we actually drafted guys well the first two? <laughs> right,
1: right. <laughs> but even yeah. Devin Fassell didn't even play.
0: Yeah, he didn't even play. Oh, but like, man, it it, 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 I think like early. Right now, what you're seeing is like teams are like, oh, you know, they had a hot start. We're just gonna go there and we're gonna smack them, and they're like, eh, yeah. actually, not so much. I yeah. think the second, the second, third time you play I'm probably gonna win those games because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's it's a, been a really good start for them. Um, New Orleans is sneakily my like my go-to watch right now. They've oh, yeah. been they've been a cool they've been a really fun team to just watch like how they de- grow together, and I think C- CJ is like kind of kind of talking me into an all-star appearance this year. I don't
1: know. Well, especially given the, the competition they've lost in the West. But, yeah, yeah uh, league pass rankings on my podcast, and the Pelicans were my number one team this year heading into the season. So yeah. I had yeah. hopes for the Pelicans. They are honestly surpassing them. Uh, but I, th- I think I picked them as my five seed in the West, and I honestly regret not picking them out of Minnesota, especially after tonight.
0: Yeah, the Pistons were my one seed, and they're mm. two and five. So not, not great.
1: But yeah, sp-
0: but speaking of all of these, the Warriors are three and four. The Clippers are two and yeah. four. The, yeah. the, the Sixers suddenly aren't like the five alarm fire that they were a week ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I uh, came up with down bad power rankings on Twitter the other day uh, yeah. after the Raptors lost. Because I was like, God, this is this is getting bleak quickly. I, I DM you. I was like, a, you know, I was like, I think at the time their next 11 opponents had winning records. I'm like, this could get to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, you texted really, me, really bad. It could be three and I was like, if they hit three and 15, you're going to <Yeah>. see. <laughs> yeah.
1: Heads are going to roll if they get that. So uh, unless they lose their next 11, I think we're out of the woods there, but yeah. yeah I mean,
0: me is two and five. Say again. Miami is two and five. Yeah, I, well, I'm not gonna say that I thought saw that I I didn't see that coming. I won't say that, but yeah. I, was like, I was like, they're just gonna they're gonna have to take a natural step back. And I think yeah. one thing that we don't talk about that much as an NBA Twitter community is like they gave up a trio to get Lowry, and they and then they lost Tucker. Like yep. you just lost two starting power forwards for a guy who is looking like he is washed. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not not a good start for Mister Lowry. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Brian, where can the the listeners find you?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. You can find me, uh, our podcast, the NBA podcast, wherever podcasts are found. Uh, I write about the Sixers and salary cap stuff, both at Liberty Ballers and at Forbes Sports. So check me out there. Um, I've got, I'm doing a a deep dive (laughs) because effing Woj, man. Try tried to ruin my weekend with this like, upper spending limit thing that he dropped on friday so i'm i
0: yeah, had something
1: flat it, it, yeah. a hard cap it's a hard cap just say We're it's a hard, a hard
0: cap it's already a hard cap league
1: <laughs> right but like this would just be a hard cap for every team but it's would be a harder like, hard cap right yeah. uh but yeah mark stein had a good article about that uh like Woj tweets this upper spending limit thing and then like stein had a whole write-through already which i thought was very funny um, literally it's just the team governors don't like they're like hard cup has a negative connotation so we'll go with upper spending limit instead it's like <laughs> i'm gonna I, I didn't murder someone i pop-tarted them like no okay. you <laughs> it's you can't just call something something up, like it's still a hard cap um but yeah i'm gonna write about uh the the new tv deal especially i think that's the the biggest thing long term, if you're looking like long-term team building picture, um this new CBA coming up and then this new TV deal ahead of the 25-26 season is just something to park in the back of your minds for the next couple of years. Cause I, you know, all these like guys signing two year extensions, not a coincidence yeah. when those extensions are going to end.
0: Yeah. Speaking of extensions, uh it, sectors announced tonight that. They are going to pick up Tyrese Maxey's third year, fourth year option. Fourth year, yep. No surprise there. That was a no-brainer the way that he's grown. It's like their best – it's probably their best contract on the roster. Um, By far. Yeah. Uh, all that means is he will be back next season <laughs> under a yes. rookie-scale deal. Then 24-25 is his qualifying offer. I'm mm-hmm. guessing they'll probably extend him prior to that and avoid yeah. restricted free agency with him. Um, and we'll just give him his max deal then. Yes, I, sure.
1: I I wrote a thing at Liberty Ballers like after the hero and pool deals came through about like how that affects Maxi's market. But again, especially with this, the the there's the potential. So Woj did in his upper spending limit article did uh, mention that you know the NBA and MBPA are working on how they're going to handle this influx of revenue. Because, you know, last time um, ahead of the 2016-17 season, the NBPA was just like, nope, dump it all at once. We're not doing a cap smoothing thing. Like it's going to artificially deflate uh, salaries. So the cap jumped by 24 million. That's what allowed the Warriors to sign Kevin Durant. And here we are. Uh, So it sounds like they are going to potentially work out some sort of formula where like they increase the cap gradually over time rather than this like oh here's this 40 million dollar jump. regardless maxi's extension if he does choose to sign it uh will start one year before then so they're gonna lock in his salary uh in theory one year before then we'll see what the new cba says maybe they they in, uh, have a mechanism in place to like adjust with the the new cap revenue but like if if it's like all right He's at 20% and it's going 100% every year from there. I think you just max it because I, I think the cap is going to rise faster than his contract is going to rise. So that is my early expectation is that July 1st next year, Tyrese Maxey is going to be a much richer man to the extent of like, I, we don't have a cap projection for 24-25 yet, but I'm going to guess it is pushing $200 million by that point.
0: And when, when it does come out, I will DM you asking for the formula and how you it. Yes, running. yes, exactly. Good. <laughs> Each number. All right, Brian, well, you have a good night. I appreciate it. All right, you too, man. Take care. B stepping back and stroking <laughs> to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! No doubles.